unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Well, I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to jump into today's show without teasing too much of it. This is like a passion of mine. Before I was going to be a copywriter, I wanted to go into this industry. And so I'm excited to jump into what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Well, I'll start off this way because as we record this, we're only a few days from Halloween. If you're haunted by low open rates, dismal click-throughs, miserable engagement, and pathetic conversions, there's almost certainly something you're not doing enough of, or maybe not doing at all, that could increase your numbers dramatically at every turn. And that's writing in a much more visual way. Picture copywriting, we could call it. Which is not as hard as you might think it is. The best visual storytellers in the world are comic book artists and filmmakers. And today we're going to take a few of their most powerful techniques and show you how to easily include them in everything you write to get better results all around. But first, I'd like to easily include this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, so how did this come about? I pulled this book, Understanding Comics, great book, out of my library. I was just paging through it. And as I was doing that, I remembered last week I was on Sean McCool's podcast, Persuasion by the Pipe. And we ended up talking about a Stan Lee documentary we had all seen. And something Stan Lee did that may have changed the world. It used to be people considered books with pictures in them second rate and illiterate, or maybe for children like Grimm's Fairy Tales. But times have changed. I think the iPhone and the iPad are a big part of it, but so are comic books, video games, and in particular, Marvel. So Stan Lee, major player in Marvel and sort of the front man, he was controversial. A lot of people hated him, and people also say he did terrible things. But a lot of people loved him. We won't get into that here, but if you want to know the dirt about him, the good stuff and the bad stuff, there's a terrific book you can get. I don't have a copy of it, but we'll put it in the show notes. Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. On his podcast, Sean McCool and his partner, Jonathan Taylor, were talking about this documentary we saw about Stan Lee on Disney+. Plus. Two things stood out. We'll talk about these things more in detail, but just to give you the high-level overview, first... To meet impossible production goals, Marvel started having the artists draw the comics with empty thought bubbles and empty talk bubbles. 
and let the writers fill the words in. So pictures first, words second. It went a lot faster that way. That's pretty amazing. And I think there are some hints for copywriters in that. Second, during World War II in the U.S., the Army was having trouble getting their soldiers paid. They had the money, but they needed to keep adding more and more payroll clerks. And the way they had their training set up, it took them six months to train them. Stan Lee was in the Army. They had given him the specialist playwright, and he created a comic book-like training for payroll clerks that reduced the time from six months, from six years to six months. So it used to take six months. Now, now it used to take six months. Now it takes six weeks. Did I say years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. He reduced it from six months to six weeks. Wow. Cut it in, you know, by three quarters. And so taking a little liberty here, because the army got paid, we can say the United States won World War II because of Stan Lee. For as they say in those emu commercials, liberty, liberty, liberty. But now let's take a deep dive into picture copywriting and picture storytelling. Uh, Before we jump into this, you must have a few thoughts. I just have one thing that I wanted to add. A lot of the funnel software and pre-built marketing website software templates out there will come templated. They'll have a hero image and then they'll have a bolded headline and then they'll have a Johnson box and a order bump and whatever. They'll have all the stuff already built in. And that reminded me of when you were saying that to make it quicker, they would have the artist draw it and leave the thought bubble or the word bubble areas blank so that the writer or the letterer could go in and fill it in later Sometimes yeah. that helps me with copy is when I don't know how do I how do I design this landing page what copy am I going to write sometimes just opening up a template where all the images are already done and I just have to fill in the blanks actually helps me write a faster page and so I, I was just thinking that was interesting that the industry of marketing internet marketing has also kind of picked up on that little tip that Stanley knew yeah that is interesting it's Kind of like, why do we have maps rather than just go out walking in any direction? All right. So uh, let's um, let's start with this. Comic books tell stories in a way that can help copywriters. So we've talked about this before, but it's worth talking about again. The most famous ad in the world was a one-page comic strip. Think about that. It lasted for 50 years. It was in comic books and magazines, newspapers. The insult that made a man out of Mac. It was the Charles Atlas ad. You know, it's the 97-pound weakling ad. It was the guy on the beach who gets sand kicked in his face by a bully, and his girlfriend walks off, and he's desolate and desperate, and then he gets the Charles Atlas course and builds up his muscles and takes down the bully and wins his girl back in like seven panels. I don't know. I might have talked more than seven panels just describing it. <laughs> but it was a comic strip. It it conveyed the story with pictures and words very well. And then think about that the Stan Lee in the Army, not Stan Lee in Marvel, but you know, his work as a quote playwright, unquote, uh, in the Army. P- 
pictures simplify, especially when they're not a still life, but they're doing something, there's action. They, and so I think pictures also force writers to think in terms of action. And, you know, one of, one of the biggest problems with copy that doesn't work is, is not proactive enough. There aren't enough muscular verbs in there. It's, it's just descriptive. It's kind of sits there. Images will, will help you get there. Nathan, you, you had something when we were brainstorming this about how pictures make it easier to explain something. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, just in general, our our readers are going to be reading, but having some pictures, they say a, a picture paints a thousand words. Sometimes adding a picture can get the point across a picture with an arrow or a picture with a part of the product circled or even a picture of somebody enjoying the results from the product uh, instead of having to say, once you get this product, your life will be changed and you'll walk around with a smile because you'll have a thousand dollars in your pocket. Instead of that, just showing somebody looking at their wallet with a happy face, it, uh, a picture can paint a thousand words. And that's one of the things that comic books if they're done right, do very well, they help avoid all of that exposition. And sometimes when you have to go through and, and explain every little detail, it can start to sound condescending. It can start to sound a little bit redundant. But if you can add some images to your copy, we've talked a lot about writing in a way that evokes images, but sometimes just adding the image itself to your copy can do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, and wouldn't that also apply to describing a mechanism that sometimes with a picture, and it is it is going to take a lot of really precise instruction to the artist and a good artist who can, you know, visualize doing this in a way that's instantly understandable. But um, can, couldn't you also use um, a series of still images that, like you would in a comic book to to demonstrate a product. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like trying to sell a vacuum cleaner. I think we've, we've explained this on the show before. It's got however much power of, of torque of suction per unit, whatever we can go into all that explanation and get super scientific about it. Or we can just show a picture of the nozzle of the vacuum holding up a bowling ball. And you're like, Whoa, that was way more powerful. Yeah, for sure. What about pictures and emails? You know, the, the the guy that taught me email marketing, Ben Settle, he's very anti-pictures. He hates pictures and emails. He's always straight up text. His service, I think Berserker email, actually excludes the ability to add images to your emails. So he's, got, he's very anti-picture. And I think for a good reason. Sometimes when you open up an email and there's images, there's the logo design and there's all this corporate stuff and you see all the product images, immediately you think to yourself, oh, this is an ad. And for a lot of people, that just turns them off right away. So I, I see the anti-picture part of emails, but I've also had clients that sold very visual-based products and showing a hint of like a close-up of part of the painting and you want to see the whole painting click here and, and go check it out has worked. So I'm 50, 50 on images. What about you? Well, personally, I don't like HTML emails. I, I just like 
old school. And when I mail to my list, that's what I always do. So I'm I'm against them, but I know people use them and they probably use them to a good effect. I mean, I'm thinking there there are certain situations, like when I get an email from one of like, you know, Max or Peacock or I don't know who else I get email, Paramount Plus, I, I like to see an image of the uh, movie. And I've had a lot of success so far with BookBub to promote my book, and they will have an image of the cover on the featured deals. But, you know, when people open those things, they're expecting a promotion. They're not expecting a personal message or even a narrative message, really. You know what I've also seen work? I've seen Doug Pugh do this when he was working with uh, Ray Edwards. If Ray had a new video out on YouTube, you open up the email and it's got a thumbnail image right there at the top and it shows the little YouTube play button on the image and then the image is clickable. So you click the limit, the image and it sends you over to watch the video. And I, I can't imagine he's doing it cause it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So I guess the answer to that is, you know, that the famous best answer to almost every question, it depends. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's jump to the next one. Yeah. So there's this old school snobbery that pictures are, you know, lower level, and that can subliminally discourage us to use picture copy. Now, I remember a long time ago, my best friend in high school, he had gone to Yale. Now, did I go to Yale? No. Did I apply to Yale? Yeah, because he did. Uh, But I was put on the waiting list. And I'm still waiting. But anyway, he got in and I was talking to him when he was a Yale student about a mythology book. And he said very derisively, oh, you mean the one that has pictures? (laughs) Of course, after Yale, he went to med school and became an anesthesiologist. And you know what they do, right? They Mm -hmm. put people to sleep. It's not what we want to do. So in, in this book... Scott McLeod, in this book, Understanding Comics, he says, traditional thinking has long held that truly great works of art and literature are only possible when the two are kept at arm's length. Mm. Words and pictures together are considered at best a diversion for the masses. At worst, a product of crass commercialism. Well... You know, we're commercial. <laughs> <That's what> <laughs> I don't think it's it's crass, but it and and again, I'm not literally talking about using images. I'm talking about communicating in images because that's how people think. They don't really think in words. We really think in, in we might hear voices in our heads and you know rehearse what we're going to say, but ultimately, we you know our our dreams are not like audiobooks they're images right mm-hmm. yes first of all we definitely dream in in visual the, th- the thing that i was thinking about was when you mentioned your friend that was the was training to be a doctor and he, and you told him about a mythology book and he goes oh the one with pictures all i can think is if i'm going to a doctor and everything that he studied didn't have pictures in it I don't know if I trust him cutting open my body or doing any. I hope he's, I hope he's studied from some books with pictures. 
Well, I imagine after he went to med school, the attitude rapidly changed, but that's (laughs) another story for another day. Okay, so here's another thing from Scott McLeod in Understanding Comics. He says, the mixing of words and pictures is more alchemy than science. Some of the secrets of the first alchemists may have been lost in the ancient past. And he's talking, of course, about the people who drew stories in caves and on walls of caves and in the walls of the pyramids, things like that. I thought, hmm, that's interesting because your company is called Advertising Alchemist, right? Yeah, so I wholeheartedly co-sign on that above statement. Yeah, so one thing I do every week, which most listeners probably don't even know about, but some might, if you follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, I'll spend some time putting together a thumbnail, a single frame graphic image to promote the podcast. And it took me years to figure out how to do it. But recently, a really good direct response designer tried to hire me. I don't know if she was kidding or not, but it was quite a compliment. And I I think it's important to be able to think visually because it ultimately affects the way you speak in a positive way. Mm -hmm. On the subject of YouTube thumbnails and a lot of selling going on in VSLs nowadays, images are a huge part. A a thumbnail, usually the text on a thumbnail is going to be pretty minimal. It's just to grab your attention and make you say, wait, what? But the image on the thumbnail, whether it's the image of a person to grab your attention or an image of something crazy that's exciting or whatever, the image plays a huge role on whether a thumbnail works or not. And then also in VSLs, the addition of uh, B-roll footage and really good B-roll footage that complements what the the copywriter wrote for that s- segment of the VSL. Images are becoming more and more important for copywriters to understand and to exploit in their copywriting adventures. I agree. So let's now talk almost exclusively about picture copy using words that evoke images rather than using the actual images. I mean, the first thing to talk about is Gene Schwartz's great book, The Brilliance Breakthrough, which became unavailable. And then thankfully, Brian Kurtz, thanks, Brian, republished it. So The Brilliance Breakthrough is, and what it's about is learning to write to create images. And it it gets very deep. It's a really good book. It's changed the way I write for the better. Another example is Gary Halbert's famous dollar bill letter. You know that letter. It has a dollar bill taped at the top. And so here's his first sentence, and listen to the words. As you can see, I have attached a nice, crisp $1 bill to the top of this letter. So it's picture copy. He's describing what you're seeing up at the top. And that really engages the imagination in a powerful way. Got another example from an old Joe Sugarman ad that he ran in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. The The headline is burglar alarm breakthrough. So burglar alarm already creates a picture, but right next to the headline is an actual picture of the product. And then the lead is it's a 
security system computer, you can now protect everything, windows, doors, walls, ceilings, and floors with a near fail-safe system so advanced it doesn't require installation. So in his first two sentences, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six images. Pretty mm-hmm. interesting, right? Yeah, that's a great example of just using words to paint a picture and doing it efficiently and effectively because a lot of times that's difficult to pull off, especially in such short time. I mean, that's less than 20 words or 30 words, and he paints, he paints this whole yeah. scene in my head. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, windows, doors, walls, ceilings, and floors, he's just taking you around one room. A lot of times people have images and they're going all over the place and it's very hard for the mind to process. But it's pretty easy for me sitting here right now to go windows, doors, walls, ceilings, floors. I can see it without turning my body, turning my head. I can from this chair. So, you know, well, let's just say he knew what he was doing. A weird example of this too that maybe might tie in is I wonder if he showed if he if if this was an ad in a magazine or an ad in a letter or on a on a sales page or something, if you showed somebody in the room breaking in through the window and the uh, and maybe you couldn't show the alarm going off but you could see the scene, how much more that would help boost the persuasion power as well. Yeah, I, I mean th- that could work. That doesn't seem like Joe Sugarman's style. He was sort of techy and texty, you know. And just came across like a straightforward, ordinary, fact-based guy. But it, it, it could work. You, you have some things you like to do regarding, well, like on your website, you you have Nathan pointing, look, look at these testimonials, right? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that as a, a sales copywriter for mostly internet marketing, one of the things that I've noticed is if I want to draw attention to a particular part of my sales page, like you mentioned, I have testimonials on my sales page and I want the, le- I want the reader to look towards them. I can add a picture of me pointing towards them in the background as they scroll. Or a lot of times in the hero image on the, at the top of the web page, if I want the reader to look at the headline, I'll have one of the people in the hero image looking directly at the headline. Same thing in, sometimes in a Johnson box, I'll take the, the person that I'm writing for and I'll have a picture of them looking towards the extra bonus that's in the Johnson box to direct people's attention there. It's, I don't know if it's an internet marketing exclusive trick, but it works great when people go to your sales page, having the people that they're looking at on the sales page, direct them where to look is an amazing, an amazing way to add some, just an extra push of, of getting people through and hitting the points that you want them to most pay attention to. We have a bonus. You're going to talk about the relationship between graphic design, graphic design nerds and copywriting and talk about the two types of comic book writers. Right. Yeah. So you know what? Just to close this show out, I did want to ask you about this. We've had people on the show before that we we had a lady on the show. I can't remember her name, but I remember that she was 
not specifically a copywriter, but you would work with her. You would give her your copy and she would lay it out. She'd say, okay, the headline should be like this. This part of the copy should be aligned this way. It should match up with this image. And is what's the name for that profession? Graphic designer. Okay. Graphic designer works. Graphic designer specifically working with copywriters to lay stuff out. And there is, I've worked with people that I just hand over the copy and they design everything. And then I've worked with people where I hand them off the copy and they want some feedback and they want to know, should should we do this? Or maybe they give me some feedback. Hey, I want the page to look like this. Try and conform your copy to make sure that it flows this way. And in comic books, they do have that same thing. There's kind of two different types of writers. There's the writers that just say storyboard it completely completely with text, like maybe Joe Sugarman would have done, where they say, okay, and then Superman punches him, and he he flies backwards out the window, and he falls onto a car, and when he hits the car, the windows explode, and there's green trees in the background, and there's people looking shocked. And then there's there's, uh, comic book writers where they just say, okay, Superman punches him, and he says this, and then they draw a little thumbnail for the artist to work off of. So there's two types of writers in comic books, some that just do text and some that kind of direct the drawer, the artist, with thumbnails. And um, in my experience as a copywriter, I've noticed that there's kind of two different ways to approach it as well. And I kind of wanted to get your take on, I mean, you've been doing this way longer than me, so I'm sure you have a, a broader vision of what I'm trying to explain. Yeah. So I think the graphic designer, and she's really more than that. She's like a creative strategist is, was Laurie Haller, who was was on her show. People like her are very rare and, and very valuable. A lot of graphic artists, even if they understand the basic priorities of direct response design, which is, you know, the design needs to support the copy, not vice versa. A lot of them don't don't really think she gets into the nitty gritty, you know, the lighting or the the space between the different lines, the different fonts, um, which colors, w- what particular things are in style right now in magazines and on TV and other design and and you know, but always for a strategic reason. So. I definitely prefer to work with people like that. I haven't always been so lucky. And if you have a copywriter and a designer working together to get the same impact, not just the sale, but maybe create the same emotional predicate to create, to open up the person to having a certain experience and being more likely to buy or more likely to buy with the, um, uh, you know, for the right reasons. So they'll be more likely to be satisfied and less likely to trash you in reviews, mm-hmm. things like that. That's great. And it's it's rare, but it's worth paying the extra money for. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a weird episode. It was a topic that we, ha- I don't think we've ever tackled it. And I don't think I've ever, I'm thinking of every copywriting book I've ever read. And I don't think any copywriting book that I've ever read or any copywriting course that I've ever gone through tackles this subject. So it was kind of refreshing to hit something that nobody else really seems to be talking about. Yes. Just another unique episode from Copywriters Podcast. Nice. And if you want to check out more episodes of the podcast, 
copywriterspodcast.com. And before we're out of here, David, if you would shout out the books that you recommended and I'll make sure to include links to them in the show notes. Sure. Well, we mentioned the brilliance breakthrough and that's Gene Schwartz's book that Brian Kurtz is thankfully republishing. And then the other two books, one is understanding comics by Scott McLeod. And the third one is Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Nice. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes again over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Are you getting tired of using the hero's journey in your sales copy over and over again? My book, The Persuasion Story Code, will help you put together stories that convince your prospects and resolve their objections. If you are a copywriter, you'll appreciate that every single one of the 25 kinds of stories in this book have been proven time and time again in profitable sales copy. But I've also used these kinds of stories to close five and six figure deals for my own business and so have many of my clients. These stories are easy to create and easy to tell. They sound like ordinary conversation, but they are all designed and proven to lead to a yes. You can get the Persuasion Story Code on Amazon.com. So get your copy today. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.